Oh. One, two, three. Hi, I'm E. And I'm F. And E is making me E is making me do a mini song. Yes. Ah! Okay, first things okay. first, for context, guys, this this mini song will be our first solicitation for donations because apparently podcasts do that now. So guys, <laughs> if you'd like to donate to support Hey You Know What, the podcast, you may opt to donate a used copy or a new copy, it all depends on you guys, of the complete set of the Divine Comedy translated by Mandelbaum and containing the original Italian side by side with the English translation. Okay? It's not, it's not expensive. That's a, it's a, it's a paperback. It's, it's not expensive. It's just that E really loves Dante and her <laughs> books are missing. E, why are your books missing? <laughs> I don't even know. I, yeah. Our house is... Yeah. <laughs> but like, just for, just for context before I start like, blah, 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 because you're going to make me. Why, why are we talking about Dante right now? Oh... Why are we talking about Dante? I think I started it by accident. Um, You started it. I think I was talking about how re-watching some courses on Dante reminded me of poetry Mm -hmm. and language. And then I was reminded of F because F F knows language and uses it in poetic styling when you when you said <laughs> you knows language i'm like obviously i know language we're using it right now <laughs> to communicate but for like for context so e is watching the um e is watching the yale open courses um on youtube and she, she's watching this beautiful series on um dante and translation there are also yeah. like the american novel there's so many courses i'm actually watching like a mini segment on lolita which is my favorite novel one of my favorite novels because it is the novel that speaking of poetic language really taught me how to write and write poetically. Like Nabokov's just amazing um, use of the language is so playful. And as blasphemous as this is um, to if my, if my, if our, my modern, who was your mod lit? Uh, will I say it out loud? Okay. No, just like use their initials then. Who was your mod lit? The Jedi master. Okay, your modlet was the Jedi Master. My modlet was like the kindly. He had a reputation for being like the litter, the lit department Santa Claus, and he was also my Renaissance literature professor. We took up, um, we took up. What novel did you guys take up for modern lit? By the way, so E and I went to the same school, and so we were all required to take modern lit. And modern lit is always Russians, right? It's always it was always Russians during that time. <laughs> it was always Russians. <laughs> Anna Karenina, but there was another one. I just forgot that one. I yeah. like Anna Karenina more. I, I, we had to take Crime and Punishment, which, I mean, I loved our professor. and It was really fun to study it with our professor, but I, I, I genuinely could not slog through Crime. If you, ask me to do, if you ask me to do it by myself, I cannot slog through Crime and Punishment. Because the I ran that one for fun. I can't, like, because <laughs> I'm spoiled because my first Russian author was, was Nabokov and, and his, just his use of language. Like, I'm, re- I'm reading another book by him now, Ada or Ardor, and his language is just so textured and beautiful. And it's not even about the plot. It's just like you're sitting in a garden of words and they're flying around you like butterflies. And did you know that Vladimir Nabokov loved butterflies? By the way, it's pronounced Nabokov, okay. but I'm very bad at that. So sorry if I say Nabokov. He loved butterflies, collected them. So I guess that's why his words act like them. The point is, the point <laughs> is, that is a point right there. Um, every, like, 
he likes Dostoevsky, and I well. like. Well, did you like Dostoevsky? You read I mean, *Crime and Punishment* for I, fun. I enjoyed. I enjoyed the read, but I wouldn't put the Russians on my top authors. Okay, but it's fine. Um, okay, that aside. Okay, <laughs> so point being, this is see you demolished my segue to the point. The point was every book I, has I'm its sorry. reader. It's fine. I'm sorry. Because every book has its reader. Because um, the reason why E is very sad and would like her Mandel bombs back is because you happen to take Dante under an extremely famous professor in our university, correct? More or less. Yes. The kind of professor who is that rare type of professor who is notoriously hard, but students fight to get into his classes to the point that he had to make a special class for the last book in the Divine Comedy for Paradiso, just for that, because um, the SEM wasn't enough to have to cover all three. So just one class Yeah, we did a a student petition and went all the way to the registrar with a list of signatures. And this isn't even required, by the way. This is like extra (laughs) units. Extra units that are not required and students fought to get into the class. This is the level of just how good this this professor is at teaching Dante. And because you took the class and I was too afraid to because I heard it was hard and I was the kind of student that was like afraid of hard professors. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. That was my Hi. strategy. Um, <laughs> but like, you took, you took um, this professor. Can you explain to me why he has so, had so captivated students that they petitioned to have an extra literature class? Well, I think one reason, and I'm only realizing this now because I'm going through Dante again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, it's, uh, what is it? It's a hundred cantos. So he's, they don't go through all of them, right? So every now and then I miss the reading. I read the wrong one. But when I'm watching that YouTube video, I, I still remember the scene. And it was how many years ago? It was if we were, if I took it in second year, then 2010, it was 10 years ago. And I still remember every name that's mentioned, every scene. It's like, of that professor 10 years ago could paint a picture of uh, of how it looked, how Dante felt in that moment, how important that character was that he was talking to. He would give a background, but he would tell it as a story. And he was always open to, like, what I what I really remember is that there was always discussion. Sometimes he, sometimes he would ask a question. It wouldn't just be a lecture. So he's inviting us to think through the words like what does this word mean what does this uh or you know (laughs) or when you give a a completely wrong interpretation and he's like yes but if you look at the italian and we're all like um well we didn't but maybe next time (laughs) next time we will but he he just knew how to do it in a way that was fun and there's no other professor i know who would literally because we had a paper every week. Yeah. But yes. literally your three lowest papers, lowest graded papers, don't count. So you have three papers in which to play around with uh, the, the, the lessons, trying to interpret or find themes. It's, mm-hmm. I guess, that feeling that you would walk into a class, but you're free. You're both free to learn and free to think for yourself. I think that's why the lessons stuck. And that's why I can hear the poetry in my head 
That's why I miss my Mandelbaum <laughs> translations because again, when I read it, it has that texture, like you said. If you were a student of this professor and would like to donate, I don't <laughs> think they would. I really don't think they would. No. But like, if they would, <laughs> be so kind. <laughs> but okay, but the point that I wanted when 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 he was describing that to me, um, what that came to mind is that this is that the way that because I actually got to sit in on that professor's class once because I regretted not signing up because. Um, and what struck me was that's how a geek talks about their favorite thing. It's a, it's a fact. Yeah. That's how a geek teaches. It's like, I love this so much that I will pick it apart and understand it intimately. Like there's this sort of, I mean, that's the only word. There's a level of intimacy and, and just beauty of knowledge. Yeah, the only word I can really repeat is the word intimacy. Like you literally, this is your best friend. This book is your best friend. This series is your best friend. It, you know it inside out. You understand it. It's a part of you. You imbibe it. It's in your cells because you're, you're, it's geek. And at the time when I'd taken the, 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 the class and I was talking about the professor with E and a bunch of other friends, I'd mistakenly got formed the idea that I had to read every single book the way that this professor read Dante and be able to geek about every single book mm. the way that this professor did about Dante. And now, because of this excellent, because of a mix of thing, a mix of, of uh, a mix of age, <laughs> getting out of my own butt and, um, and this amazing YouTuber called Maven of the Eventide, which who you need to check out, just dropping her name there. Just look, if you like vampire books, check her out. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I finally understood that you can't geek out about books the same way. And that's where the every book, is, and, and no two people will geek out about the same book the same way. Yeah. Um, because you're taking, because you're taking the, the, the Dante course on Yale, does the professor of the Dante course on Yale remind you of this, our previous professor, or is it completely different like way of seeing Dante? Oh, oh. Well, I would say definitely there are different themes that he focuses on mm -hmm. of Dante. Like, I feel like in, in university, we focused more on looking at the punishments or the, the non-punishments when you get to Paradiso, of course, yeah. and trying to understand Dante's understanding of a certain sin or a certain virtue through that scene. Mm -hmm. So it was really more on that kind of, I don't know how to say it, visceral, like grounded, uh, putting yourself into the scene, like watching it like a movie. Mm -hmm. But um, the Yale course is a little more about uh, very specific themes. Like today, we're somewhere and we started Purgatorio and he's talking about Dante trying to think of uh, aesthetics and ethics together. Like is the poet uh, responsible for if his works lead someone astray or wow. is it important to have a good meaning like content but not framing it well should you frame ethics in aesthetics if that makes any sense and it it's a something that dante is struggling with and that's the one that's being highlighted right now so it's a that's little really more thematic yeah, I, that's why I kept thinking of you. No, but okay. <laughs> Excuse me, ethics and aesthetics, and you think of me? I'm purely aesthetic. There's no, like, it's not like for me, because my concept of aesthetics is mostly just me dressing up in pretty clothes. I'm like, there's no ethics there. It's just 
Oh, there are. There are layers of ethics too to kind of fashion and etc. But we're not gonna get that. There's, a, there's gonna be another podcast for that. Um, but oh, but anyway, point being, point being, there's a point there is that, you know, in the same way that no two geeks will geek out about the same favorite thing alike, the same way that these two professors take Dante into different approaches. But because the text of Dante l- lends itself to both a visceral approach because it's so vivid with its descriptions of you know punishments and the contrapassos which you can look up it's it's brilliant mm. and it, and it's been able to spawn like video games because it's such a vid- a visual text but it's oh, also yes. a poetic text it's it able to attract these two different kinds of people because of what it is and that's where the every book its reader thing has i think the thing with literature, so I mistakenly thought I could analyze my favorite, one of my other favorite books, Pride and Prejudice, from the perspective of the same way you would analyze Dante. And I couldn't because that's a completely different text. It's, it's a, uh, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice is the example of the comedy of manners, which is a very, very common sort of no, no, novel format in the Regency period um, and a little bit before it. It was sort of a counterpoint to the Gothic novel, which is another popular genre, which you see that Jane Austen lampoons in her first novel, Northanger Abbey. The Pride and Prejudice is really that kind of marriage plot comedy thing. So you have to analyze it from that context. And so it attracts, if you see, if you compare an Austin scholar to a Dante scholar, Austin scholars, while they are just as nerdy and just as geeky about the text, have very different sort of, I would say, personalities and even topics of, subtopics of interest. Like me, I'm very attracted mm-hmm. to Pride and Prejudice because I love the idea of character studies. I love, I'm very, even as a writer, I, had, I always had a really hard time writing like plot, but I had a really easy time of like describing character and like picking characters apart because I love character. So it's such a great character study. It's about dialogue and uh, it is also about social mores and this idea of, of how people interact within both the confines of, of, uh, you know, what society says you should do and also what they themselves think mm-hmm. they should do. So it's like this, like, both, this, this, this balancing act between what society says um, you should or should not consider acceptable and what your morals or what your heart tells you or whatever you want to talk about it, your, your brain, whatever tells you is right. So and as somebody who, um, one, has a very, had a very, very difficult time growing up understanding social cues because, yeah. And two, just is again, uh, so I, I don't call myself a social historian, but I'm a social history geek. We talked about this in the first episode. Um, Pride and just appeals to me. And I have, and for the reason that I am actually equipped with the tools to perceive that. And, um, and that's why I think that's the beauty of literary analysis is that you really should have it taught to you by the type of person that that book attracts. Because every single book is going to have to be interpreted a different way. And that's like the fun of it because with every single book is a different perspective. And there's, it's kind of like a, there are rules, there are no rules kind of thing. Like there are, the book itself, mm-hmm. actually that's the thing, it's the, problem. the book itself determines the rules for how you would interpret it. Like the book tells you how it should be read. I agree, which is funny because if you think of it, Dante and Austin are both social commentaries. Yeah, I mean, you in a s- extremely loose sense, they are both social commentaries. You mean the fact that they stuck all his enemies in hell? <laughs> not for political all. reasons. His, his best friend too is also in hell. Well, <laughs> how many times have we stuck each other in hell? As <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> um, where was I going with that? They're both social commentaries. commentaries yeah, but when you. Uh, 
but it would be um, simplifying them, oversimplifying them to say, to lump them in the same category just because both of them make a commentary, a social commentary. And I think this goes back to, sorry, I keep going back to our our first episodes, but continuity, it's a good thing. (laughs) Okay, good. It goes back to our uh, episodes where we talk about you are what you geek and even a little about like the human side because this is literary stuff it's liberal arts but we're we can still get into passionately get into something that is completely different from the other one way or another but i think what it uh, what geek dumbness geek geekiness equips us to do is it also looks helps us look at other uh other say writings pieces of writing in a different way you start to notice things more like i think you mentioned that reading lolita gave you an appreciation for language which is the same thing that you noticed in pride and prejudice that's the language right yeah so it's, it's a different like, type of language like dialogue in dialogue in the pride and prejudice sense dialogue is ability to reveal character and like voice because like jane austen had this way of being able to super explicitly capture voice. <laughs> like you could tell how somebody was by the way they talked. And then in, in Lolita, it was just like, just words. <laughs> also voice, but in a very different way. Yeah, so continue. Yeah, but yeah. right there, there's that. Uh, or like for me, I'm reading, I am reading, I'm watching Dante in translation and rereading uh, The Raven Cycle by Maggie Stiefvetter. And it's like certain scenes jump out to me that have never jumped out to me before. I suddenly understand why this, you know, this character gave a sigh of pity. And it's only, it's because I could literally hear the Dante professor in my ear asking, so why did he sigh with pity? Is that something you know of that character? Is pity something he feels for other people? No. He usually looks at other people as wonderful creatures individuals he doesn't think of them and pity them so why was he sighing with pity and i suddenly that entire scene was just crystal clear but not because i was making a a connection that wasn't there i was now equipped to make a connection that um that had been there but needed someone else to remind me or show me what it was and i feel like geeking out or getting deep into something that you love is really not something to be ashamed of because it gives you tools to see the world a little clearer see different things a little clearer and like i don't know if you agree again no because also like different things you geek out about inform your perception of things you geek out about inform your ability to geek out about other things like for example just tying it back to the whole um why Esther brought up Dante, why he brought up Dante was because um, I tended to, we were also, we, had, we went to a liberal arts university, which explains why we're like this. It just, it messes up for life in the best possible way. And we both attended music uh, appreciation class together and we would sit together. Mm-hmm. And so Esther just, he knows I'm the most obnoxious music listener ever, ever because I will shake someone and be like, can you not feel it? Because I get ASMR from music. I don't even know. So yeah, like, different perceptions you'll start like if not only will geeking out about something give you a better appreciation for the text it also gives you a better appreciation for the people around you like you know dante and i was like oh it's talking about music now i, I gotta talk to f because like she's obnoxious when it comes to music i'm so sorry Esther. i'm so sorry um yeah so it's that it gives you greater appreciation for for 
uh, for art, for context, like the context where the art was born, and then also for like other people. And that's like that's why they always say like literature teaches empathy because that's everything that's baked to, into it. And I feel like the whole point why I was actually talking about this is kind of more in connection to our second episode where I said, you know, don't be a gatekeeper. Don't be somebody who's like, ew, why do you not like this? Or why do you like that? Because mm-hmm. it's an every book, it's reader thing. Like, not everyone is going to have the tools or have the personality equipped to understand this text. There are classics are classics because they say important things about human nature or whatever, but not everybody can get through all of them. And that's fine. You know, you resonate with the classics you're meant to resonate with. You're, you resonate with the books you're meant to resonate with. I think just the whole mm-hmm. point is to don't, not be afraid to, reson- to, to find the book you want to resonate with, find the story you want to resonate with, dig deep into it, and analyze it in your own way. Like, let the book tell you. Because if, that, if there's anything else that, that, that I remember from that professor, um, and it was very badly explained, not by E, but by... So sorry, I'm not trying to burn anyone. <laughs> I only understand it now. But it was kind of explained to me by uh, somebody that he took the course with. We're like, you know, the professor just, you know, you just look at the text and the answers come out. Like, you know, you just have to try you just have to read and then we just wait for the answers to come. That's how that other person explained it to me. And I felt so bad because I was trying to do that with the Pride and Prejudice and I couldn't get it. Now I do. The meaning of that is you read the book and you let how the book is written. You let how the elements of the book are. You let what's part of it teach you how to quote-unquote analyze it and sometimes you just don't analyze it just feel it just enjoy it you know um i reread pride and prejudice i don't know for the five bajillionth time i have i collect copies of pride and prejudice i've read it for the five bajillionth time and what i love like jumping back into the awesome communities we're all on, on instagram we're all just posting like uh, mr darcy isn't a brooding byronic hero no he's a socially awkward turtle who has no idea how to talk to people which is like please leave me alone i don't know what to say which i mean think about it He's a door. Yeah, yeah he, the, the more I read it, the more I realize, like, dude, you're so shy. He's a cosmopolitan dork. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, like, honestly, like, I don't know who played him better. Well, I know everyone's going to say Colin Firth played him better, but Matthew McFadden also had that sort of, like, he didn't look like a brooding. Both of them did not look, I love how the casting of those, like, both of them did not look like brooding, Byronic heroes. They looked, like, very stressed out <laughs> young men who are just like my best friend might be getting to a disadvantageous match because he's a dingos because Bingley is a dingos let's all agree Bingley is a dingos he's the sweetest dingos ever but he's a dingos like protect him and Darcy's just like ah no so he's stressed about Bingley he's stressed out about Ger- Georgiana Georgiana he's got really irritating Caroline on his back and he's falling in love, which is probably something he's never experienced because he's such a, he's been so focused on like taking care of his state and being responsible. And he's falling in love, but worse, he's falling in love with somebody he's not expecting himself to fall in love with because he's like, I have been taught to be like the pinnacle of nobility. You just imagine how stressed this guy is. And when you read his long letter to Elizabeth, this is, not, this is, this is word vomit. This is not like, I am commanding this. It's just like, please understand I did nothing wrong. It's just, nah! Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So I, as, I, as I'm older and finding that I am more of that, exactly that kind of person, like I used to, I used to connect with, with Elizabeth when I was younger. Now I connect with Darcy on a spiritual level. I just want to be alone on a Sunday night by my, with my candles reading. Like, leave me alone, human. No friend. Woo! So. So yeah, every book gets reader. 
That's the whole point. Like, and 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 yeah, your favorite books age with you. Like, that's not true. That's also a thing. Like, your favorite books will lead you to other books. One and two will age with you. Like, the older you get, the more you'll understand the text, and the more you may you may like you may not like it. You may like it more. You may have other reasons to like it. But that's just a thing. Like, you know that that's that's literary analysis in a nutshell. It's letting a book grow with you, and grow into you, and become part of your bloodstream. Because mm. geekiness is the ultimate parasitical entity possesses us. Yes. <laughs> Although there are some books I'm afraid to reread because I'm afraid um, I know more and I won't like them as much. So yeah, I think that's okay. Like it's like scary sometimes. It's yeah. Like you feel like if you read it and then your worst thoughts come true, then. Uh, you lost something in your childhood, but I think by this point we are going over twenty minutes for sure. It doesn't matter. This is like everyone at this point. You guys should know that by mini so it just means unplanned episode that isn't actually mini. But that's it, and that's actually going to be a discussion for another time. Like I think that's a really good thing to talk about. Like when you outgrow a geekdom, we'll put that on the calendar. If you guys think we should do it, or even if you don't, we will do it anyway. For now, for now, my name is F. My name is E. And we're going to leave because we have movie night. Bye! Bye!